Well, it's good to see you here today, and I hope that you're glad to be here. And uh, what a blessing to be able to start our service with the four baptisms, amen? That is wonderful. If you've been with us, you know we're in John chapter 17, so go ahead and make your way there. And uh, this is, of course, the night that Jesus is being betrayed. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's been praying. He prayed, obviously, for himself in the first five verses, and now we're going to pick up, and he's praying for his disciples. And then thirdly, we'll talk about him praying for us. And uh, being in the Air Force for almost seven years, I I think a lot about military history, and and, uh, especially World War II is one of my big things to go back and study. On June the 6th, 1944, 160,000 troops were going to storm the beaches of Normandy on five different beaches. 13,000 paratroopers had been taken in the night before and dropped behind enemy lines uh, for support of this endeavor. The question that I have, number one, is how do you get that many pieces in place? Almost 175,000 pieces. That has to be absolutely incredible how much time, effort, and energy it would take to prepare for such an endeavor. And uh, the other question I have is this. Not only that, but what do you say to the troops before they enter into this type of invasion? That they know that many are going to lose their lives, and it is going to be a bloody, bloody battle. This was known as the largest amphibious Invasion in history. And that day, as those men were going in, I can only imagine the conflicting impulses that were waging war within their minds and within their hearts. But I also think as well, what do you say to a group of soldiers that are going to go in and many of them will lose their lives that day? What do you say to them? You need... You need a leader to step up and speak to the troops. And General Dwight Eisenhower was just that leader to step up and speak on June 5th, 1944, to all of these troops. And he said this, and I will read. You are about to embark on a great campaign in which we have spent many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. The free men of the world are marching together to victory. I have full confidence in your courage in battle, and we will accept nothing less than full victory. Can you imagine those words and the calming effect that they must have had on the soldiers that day as they would prepare to go in the next day and storm those beaches and the paratroopers who would be dropped behind enemy lines. Well, that's exactly what was transpiring with Christ in John chapter 17. In John chapter 14, you remember when Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believed in God, believe also in me. And he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive myself into where yourself into where I am. And the disciples were fearful. And they had a lot of anxiety, and they needed to hear from their leader what was going to transpire. So that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus was telling them, this that I give you is not for a day, 
It's not for a moment, it's not for a week, it's not for a year, because the war would wage on for almost a year. But this D-Day really led up to V-Day. And as we see these troops of Jesus, they are going to go into the world, and they are to be in the world, but not of the world. So let's stand, and let's read. Starting with verse number 11. Jesus says, Now I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that... They may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Let's pray. Father, as we read these words, we realize that Jesus was telling his disciples that they are to be prepared for what's going to transpire. And Father, not only was he telling them these words, but he's telling us these words. And I pray, Lord, that we too would be prepared and that we too would be inspired as we go out into the world, realizing that we are not of the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Jesus prayed, and there's four or five things I want to share with you today as we look at this passage of Scripture. Jesus prayed for them to be satisfied with a joy that's not of this world. To be satisfied with a joy that's not of this world. In verse number 17, he says these words, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus is telling them about their relationship to the world. And it's interesting that the word world comes up 18 times in these verses in this chapter. So Jesus is really differentiating between the kingdom and the world, the earthly world. And he wants us to understand that we too... We are in this world, but we are not to be of this world. He's telling them that they need to separate themselves. And this theme of joy that we read earlier, and we read again in chapter 17, the text that I just read, we see that Jesus telling them in his prayer, you can have joy. You can have this relationship. And that joy, too, is an abiding joy. He's telling them it's not a momentary joy, but it is a joy that continues throughout life. And as we experience that joy that comes by being one with Him, we then can experience the joy that Christ wants us to have all of our lives. Now, the unfortunate thing is we get caught up in the world. I am no different than you. I I struggle, and I know that many of you struggle. Because what do we want? We always want something better, right? Want something bigger, want something nicer, want something newer. And we get caught up in that. But guess what? Every time we get something... Does it bring lasting joy? No. Momentary happiness. But then it is just dissipating. It doesn't last. And it takes us 
unfortunately, a lifetime to realize that that doesn't bring everlasting joy. It's like our grandkids. Where they're at, they don't have dollar stores, I don't think. They have every other store imaginable in the city, but not a dollar store. So when they come here, what do they always want to do? Go to the dollar store. So we take them to the dollar store to buy them a toy, and it takes forever. Because why? Well, I want this one. No, I want this one. I want, no, no, wait. And I put this one back and they'll go get another one. And you know as parents what I'm talking about. That's how it works. And then we'll get the toy. All five of them will have a toy. Then we will get up by the counter. And guess what they have by the counter? Candy and sodas. And guess what they want now? I want this. Or they'll see something shiny that they don't even know what it is, but it looks good to them. I want that. And they know that it will bring just temporary happiness. But by the time they get in the truck and we head toward the house, it's all over. The joy is gone. The happiness is gone. It's like, well, that didn't bring me the joy or the happiness that I expected or hoped for. And that's why I hate taking children to Walmart. Man. Because there's too many things that they want. And you're like, no, no, no. I remember one time when we were in the Air Force, Sandy had taken the kids with her to the commissary to get food. And Crystal was acting up because she wanted this and she wanted that. And and Sandy said, I'm going to take you out and wear you out. And they start toward the door in the cart. And there's this lady standing there. And Crystal leans over and said, help me. But it just doesn't have lasting joy. But you know, it's not just children that do that. We as adults do that as well. Because we've been manipulated into thinking, if I just get this thing, it will bring satisfaction in my life. It will bring joy to my life. If I just get this promotion, or if I just get this job, or if I just get this raise, or if I just get this new thing, or if I can just get my kids out of diapers... Or if I can just get them past the terrible twos. Or if I can just get them through school. If I can just get them through college. If I can just get enough money in my retirement account. On and on and on and on and on and on we go. And you hit those marks or those goals that we set. And then you ask the question when it comes down to monetary things. Is this enough? Is this enough? Because I can't tell you how many retirees I've talked to. And and, and one retiree that I talked to... uh, He's gone now. He's gone to be with the Lord. But he had not a million dollars, not $10 million, but multiple more millions of dollars. And he said, I just don't know if it's going to last. And I'm thinking, that would last for lifetimes. But you know what? We bought into that concept. Will it last? Will it last? And, and I've just got to have just a little bit more, and that little bit more will bring satisfaction. But it never brings satisfaction to our souls because, in the words of Rockefeller, J.D. Rockefeller, how much more do you need? Just a million more. We just need a little bit more. Now, in John's Gospel, in chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me, guess what? He shall never hunger 
And he who believes in me shall never thirst. So Jesus was basically saying, now, physical food, you're going to continue to need. But the internal satisfaction of your soul, when you come to me and you partake of me, you're going to have that peace. And you're going to have that satisfaction. And you're not going to hunger and thirst for other things because you'll have everything you need to have that deep, abiding satisfaction for all eternity. Psalm 107 verse 9 tells us, He satisfies the longing souls and he fills the hungry soul with goodness. I like that verse. Can you claim that this morning? Because that is truly a blessed verse. Now, again, I'm telling you, we all struggle with satisfaction because every time you turn the television on, there's these advertisements for things that you think you need. And they make you want them. And, and, and you buy into that philosophy of the world, if I could just fill this void with that, but it doesn't work. That's why Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, and you who come to me, you will never hunger or thirst again. Just accept this. The second thing that Jesus prays for is this. He prays that they will be shielded from the ruler of this world. And in verse number 15, he says these words, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. So what he's saying there is, you know, it's not get saved and go home, be with the Lord. I don't, not saying you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. In other words, while we're in the world and we're in Christ, he's going to protect us from the evil one as we walk with him. Now, I love this verse, and I love it in the King James Version, and it's in Psalm 3.3. But thou, O Lord, isn't that strong? That's strong. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. My glory and the lifter up of mine head. You are my shield. Lord, you're a shield for me. Now, a shield isn't for when you're taken out of the battle. A shield is when you go into battle. A shield is needed when you go into battle. So what Jesus is saying is you enter into this world, you're going to need the shield because the shield will protect you from the fiery darts of the evil one. So you need this shield not when you're exiting the battle and going to heaven, but you need this shield as you are in this world because you're going to have things that will be thrown at you that you're going to need to block. And the only way you can is by trusting in the Lord. Now... I don't know if you know what a wildland firefighter is. Many of you probably do. But a wildland firefighter, it's one of the most dangerous jobs in the world. Because as they go out and, and these fires, uh, these fires shift so quickly from valley to valley and ridge to ridge. And the tools that they take out are very important. But there's one tool that they take out that's probably the most important. And, and basically, it, it's, it's this personal, it's like a sleeping bag. It's like an aluminum sleeping bag. It's a personal shelter. And when a burnover comes, and they'd have no escape route from the black, which has been burned, to the green, and their, their, their escape route's been cut off, the only thing they can do is put that bag over them, lie face down in the dirt, and pray. Well, out in 2006 in Wyoming, this happened to a group of firefighters not once, but twice. And the first time the fire burned over them as they were caught without an escape route, they, they fell on their faces and they covered themselves with their personal shelter. And the fire raged over them for five minutes. 
When it was gone, they got up. They started to move forward. And guess what? As they were continuing to fight the fire, the fire came again over them for seven minutes. But because they had this personal shelter, they were sheltered from the fire. They escaped the fire because they had that shelter. Now, I want you to listen to what I'm going to tell you now. Listen. We too have been sheltered by the blood of Christ as we go through the storm and the fires of life and He protects us divinely and He gets us through that. And what we have is this shield of faith. And this shield of faith protects us as we go through the battles that we're going to endure. And on our behalf, Christ shields us. He doesn't remove us from the fire, but He shields us in the midst of the fire. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6.16, Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So, as Christ works in our lives, and He prayed for us, He says, first off, you need to be satisfied with a joy not of this world. And then secondly, he tells us that he will shield us from the ruler of this world. And then thirdly, he tells us he will sanctify us from the world. And look down at verse 17 and verse 19. He says these words, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. In verse 19, and for, the, for their sakes I sanctify myself that they all may also may be sanctified by the truth. Jesus is basically saying there, this is a process. This sanctification is a process. And, and, and I'm going to describe it to you in just a moment. But first off, when you come to Christ in salvation, this, this marks, if you will, the beginning of our lives and throughout eternal life. And as we enter in here, we are called justified. That's mean, that means we are born again. That means that we enter into a relationship with Christ. And there's a point in time that that happens. That point in time when we are born again in the family of God, when we've confessed our sins, we've repented, and we've asked Christ to come in our life. And then the process of sanctification begins at that moment. And that process of sanctification is a process where we continue to grow and, and develop and become more Christ-like throughout our life. It is learning as we study and as we go. It is what happens when we connect and then we grow as we're being sanctified. And then we come to this point that's the end of our physical life and that's when we are glorified or taken into heaven to be with the Lord forever and ever. So it is a process. It means that we are set apart when we're sanctified. When we're born again, He sets us apart for His kingdom work. And that's what Paul explained in Romans chapter 8, verse 29 through 30. <clears throat> for whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that we, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, guess what? He also called. Whom He called? He also justified. Whom He justified, these He also glorified. So that, that's the process of, of, of Christ taking us through this. And this dash, if you will, from here to here is the process of sanctification. I mean, that we enter in and then we, we, we go to be with the Lord. But the, but the eternal life starts at this point and, and, and we know Christ. That's eternal life. And then we are growing in Christ. We are becoming more Christ-like in our lives. 
And then we come to this place where we are glorified. But it is a process. So the question is, are you in a right standing with Christ? Have, are, have you been born again, number one? Number two, are you growing in Christ? And what happens when we do? We connect. We connect with the local body. We connect with a small group. One of our connect groups, Sunday school classes, we call them. We call them connect groups now. You, you get in with a connect group and you grow. And then once you grow, then you begin to multiply. And we'll get to that in just a minute. So... <clears throat> The point is, are we in a right standing with Christ? Have we come to that place where we have asked Him to take over our life and that we live by the power of His truth? We connect, then we grow, and then He prayed that they would be sent into the world. Sent into the world. In verse number 18, He says these words, As as you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. He's saying, Father, you sent me into the world. I came from heaven down to earth, and I finished my course. And as I finish my course, I'm going to send them out into the world as well. Now, this isn't just for the disciples that day. This is for us all eternity. He's asking for those of us who are believers now to go out into the world. We are to multiply. We are to make a difference in our local communities We are to bring people into a relationship with Christ. And then they grow in Christ and then they multiply as well. Jesus gives us the reason he came to this world. In Luke's gospel in chapter 19 and verse 10, he said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. In Mark's gospel in 1045, he said, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So guess what? Once we become followers of Christ, we aren't here saying, serve me, serve me, serve me. But we're saying, now I'm to serve God. I'm to make a difference for the kingdom. It's my responsibility to go. It's not someone else's. It's mine. And this model is what we should follow, as Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul said, guess what? I'm the worst one. (laughs) And every one of us, when we look back over our lives, we can say, no, Paul, I think I knocked you off the throne. I think I'm worse than you. Because every one of us, if we'll be honest, we know we're not fit for heaven. We know the only way we can make it to heaven is through the precious blood of Christ. Nothing else will take us there. Nothing else will give us lasting hope. You know, the thing about it is people in the world are looking for answers. They're looking for answers. And we have the answers, but we've been put into fear mode by the world. And we just kind of drop our head and, okay, okay, okay. So what we need to do is read the book, believe the book, and act on what the book tells us. Jesus says, take this truth and go into the world. You know, D-Day served as a turning point in the war. And uh, after D-Day, it was just a mop-up operation after, or V-Day, D-Day, it was a mop-up operation until D-Day almost a year later. So that day in June 6, 1944 was a watershed moment in the war. It opened up numerous doors and prisoners could be set free. On January 28, 1945, 120 Army Rangers were sent to free 500 prisoners from a prisoner of war camp. 
Can't you imagine? Because the prisoners of that prisoner war camp, all they had every single day was bad, bad, bad. We need hope. We need help. We need deliverance. But every day was just like the day before. But they felt a little bit worse because they didn't have enough food to eat. And the living conditions were horrid. But then this day, they hear the marching of those boots coming to set them free. Can you imagine the delight that they felt in their heart as they heard those boots coming from those army rangers to set them free? If you've ever, how many of you have been in the military? You remember the marching of the boots when you're in formation? You, you could hear other groups, other squadrons marching as well. You could hear those boots coming. What you dreaded the worst were the taps on the DI or TI, depending on what you had. But you could hear it coming. But when they heard those boots, it had to bring great joy to their hearts knowing that we are going to be freed. There's now hope in their lives. And as these army rangers are coming, it's hard to imagine what joy they must have felt, what hope they must have felt to be set free. Well, that's why the gospel is so clear. Listen to these words out of Romans 10. How then shall they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, here it is, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. The world needs to hear our boots as we come to proclaim hope to them, to set captives free, that they may know that we have the good news of the gospel of Christ. Jesus is saying, take up the shield. You are a soldier in this war. Take up the shield. Block the fiery darts of the evil one. Take the message of the gospel of Christ because I'm sending you out into the world. And listen, a church that's going to grow has to be a church that's willing to go. And we must be willing to do that very thing. If you never felt the desire to let others know that you're a Christian and share the good news with them, let me tell you, you probably need to check your salvation. Because He sent us out. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, guess what? You will be saved. Jesus prayed, number one, that we, as we go into the world, He would sanctify us. He prayed He would set us apart, make us different. He promised to be with us as a shield. And He will protect us. Let's go out. Let's make a difference. Let's share the good news. Because, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't watch the news very much, but every time I do, I get depressed. Because there's nothing positive. Nothing. And, and, you know, Air Force General just the other day said, within a year or two, we'll be in a war with China. I don't know. He doesn't know for sure. But isn't that a little bit frightening? That we are not of the world we are in the world 
But let's take the good news of the gospel to others that it might make a difference eternally for them. And if you're here and you have never given your heart to Christ, today's the day. I don't know when he's going to come back. People have predicted forever. Nobody knows the day or the hour. All I know is that it's closer today than it was yesterday. So if you need to come to Christ, come today before it's too late. Father in heaven, my prayer is that anyone who hears my voice, they would make the kingdom of God their priority. They would share the good news, not in a way like we swing a hammer, but a way that we encounter a friend. And we just share because we care, not in an ugly way, turn and burn, turn or burn, but God loves you, and so do we. And we want you to have the difference maker in your life, and his name is Jesus. I pray today for anyone that has questions or doubts that they would come. They would settle it today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.